0: My name is Lois, if we haven't met before, and um, I'm on the staff team here at KXC, and it is my joy to be continuing on our series entitled, The Beauty of the Gospel. And basically, this is an opportunity for us as a church to walk through the basics and the fundamentals of the Christian faith. So if you're not someone who's familiar to the faith, it's an opportunity for you to understand why this good news is beautiful. And if you're someone who's been around the faith for a long time, it's an opportunity for you to gaze again at the beauty of the gospel. Um, So here we are. So today, we are going to be talking about family. Um, And I know that... um, The word family, the term family, is not a neutral term. And so even me saying that, there might be some strong connotations for people in the room. You might have all kinds of ideas, all kinds of thoughts going on in your head. Um, But my hope and my prayer as I've been preparing this today um, is is just that we would have a renewed and restored understanding of what it means for us to be a part of God's family. Um, Because this is such good news for us and has such a massive impact for us in our daily lives. Um, So I'm just going to pray that the Spirit would speak to us. We've, We've been having a great time today. I've been having a great time in this service today. And it's so clear that the Lord is here. And so I'm so expectant that the Lord is going to speak to us. So why don't we pray together and and see what the Lord wants to do. So Father, we thank you so much that you have brought us into your family. And so we pray in this moment that, Lord, you would open up our hearts to the reality of this truth. I pray that you would take these words and that you would make it real to us. And so, God, we, we ask that you would help us to just um, lay, down, lay down the things that may be distracting us, lay down even our ideas around family that may not be helpful for us in this moment, because we want to hear your voice. And so we ask that you would speak. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, So in order for us to explore this topic of family, we're going to be rooting ourselves in the uh, passage of Scripture in 1 John 3, verse 1 to 18. And so we're going to be reflecting on a few key themes from that. So I'm going to read the passage. It is quite long, so I'm going to be skipping out a few bits. But if you've got a Bible or uh, the Bible app, you might want to open it to to this passage. Um, So let me read it to you. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we will know we will know that when Christ appears, and we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure." Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has, sin has either seen him or known him. Then on to verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. Then verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Then down to verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so our starting point for all we're going to be thinking about in terms of family is that in Jesus Christ, we have been adopted into the family of God. And something specific happens, something akin to adoption, when we accept Jesus into our lives. And we know that. We read it in John 1, verse 12, where it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. Adoption. So now, all of humanity, every single person on this planet has been made in the image of God. And that means that there is inherent value and inherent beauty in every single person on this planet. But there's something unique and something distinctive about being adopted to be a child of God that happens when we accept Jesus as our Lord into our lives. And so a little fact about me is that before, back in the day, before I started working for the church, I actually used to be a solicitor. And I used to actually work in family law and specifically in child care proceedings. So when the state kind of gets involved in the care of a particular child. And so what, what, um, what you need to know is that when the state decides to get involved in care proceedings in a child's life, there's a whole host of orders that a judge can use um, in order to, to decide what are gonna be the best in, what's going to be in the best interest of the child in terms of their care. But the most serious and the most hard hitting of all of those orders is the adoption order. And the reason for that is because an adoption order completely severs all the legal ties between a child and its biological family and completely places all new legal rights in regard to child and the adoptive family. And there's lots of implications for that in a child's life. So, for example, that court order will continue even after the child is 18. So that child is a a member of the adoptive family for the rest of its life. That order means that um, all, the, uh, all the parental responsibility in regard to the child is passed from the biological family to the adoptive parents. And also, another example of that, in terms of the money, if there's any inheritance that would have come from the biological parents to the child, that is severed too. But the child has the opportunity to inherit anything from the adopted parent to the child. So you see that the reason that this is the most serious measure legally available to a judge is because it changes everything for that child forever. And there's something of the essence of that in what we're reading in the scriptures, that something fundamentally and legal happens to us when we accept Jesus into our lives. We're given the right to be called children of God because of Jesus' death. And so this passage says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That is what we are. If we've accepted Jesus into our lives, that is what we are. And that changes our lives forever. And so adoption is our foundational point for all that we're going to be thinking about for the rest of our time. So if you've been um, here over the last few weeks, you might have heard Pete talk about the roots of the gospel and the fruits of the gospel. So if you like today, adoption is our root. And then we're going to be looking at three different fruits from this. Are you with me? Okay, good. Okay, so we're going to be looking at three things. We're going to be looking at the fruit of a new family identity, a new family resemblance, and a new family commitment. Just bear with me one second. My throat is a little bit sore. I'm going to have a swig of water, and then we'll, we are going to continue. Thank you, Kath. Thanks for that permission here we go. So the first thing, new family identity of being loved. So um, another little fact about me is that my favorite film of all time is The Lion King. Surprising but true. Oh, I've got some Lion King fans in the room. That's good. And so you can imagine my joy and delight when I heard in 2019 that they were making a live action version of The Lion King film. Who saw it? Oh, Zillem, Zillem, you hold your horses. You hold your horses. I'm with you. I'm with you, brother. I'm with you. Okay. I'm glad you said it first. I'm glad you said it first. And so you can imagine my despair, much like Zulim, when I saw the film and my favourite part of the film had been butchered. And so this, this is, I don't know if you feel the same, Zulim, but my favourite part of the film is the moment, it's the linchpin moment when Simba sees Mufasa and they engage in that moment because it changes everything for him. And he, Mufasa, in the original, says to him, Simba, you've forgotten me. You've forgotten who you are, and you've forgotten me. You need to take... I'm um, sort of paraphrasing here now. But you need to take your place in the circle of life um, and he says to him, you are the true king. You're my son and you're the true king. And I don't know what the 2019 you know, production was thinking, but they completely butchered that speech. And I was so upset because that is the moment that changes everything for Simba. He's able to go back and take on Scar, make everything right at Pride Rock because he hears from his father, you are my son and the true king. That's what gives him the courage to go back. And what we learn in this passage is that when we are adopted into the family of God, we are offered an identity, a familial connection with the God of the Most High. So it says um, in our passage from verse one, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. And so there's something here of the now and the not yet. But now, even now, here right now, we are children of God. And this passage starts by saying, What great love the Father has lavished on us. Our identity as children of God is connected to this great love. We are in this place, in this family, where there is great love. We have a father who loves us, we have the son who loves us, and we have the Holy Spirit who, guess what, loves us. That is our new squad. And the incredible thing about this squad is that we are unconditionally loved. And the concept, I think, of unconditional love is often kind of banded around. Um, But fundamentally, because we are imperfect, the way we love each other is imperfect. And um, I think there can often be quite a lot of insecurity around love because we're kind of left with the question of, if people really knew the real me, would they love me? But what we see in this heavenly family is that the love that the Father has lavished on us is completely unconditional. And that's because our God is under no illusions about any of us. We serve a God who knows the reality of us, who knows the reality of our hearts. The one who really knows us. And I still feel like I'm 33 years old. I sometimes still feel like I'm a mystery to myself, um, let alone to the people around me. But we are not a mystery to God. And when we're called into this family, it is without conditions. It's without conditions for us even actually to be good. We're not taught what it. We're invited into this family even before we're taught what it means to be a part of this family. And if there's anyone who has any doubt about whether that's true for them, all you ever need to look at is the cross. Romans 5 verse 8 says this, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How, in- how incredible is that? Yeah. That while we were sinners, God made a move to bring us into his family. That is the measure of the Father's love for us, that when we were in all the wrong conditions, knowing the fullness and the reality of who we are, the fullness of our rebellion, God brought us into his family. Such is the love of the Father. And the more that we grasp that in the power of the Holy Spirit, the more that the way we live our lives fundamentally changes. Because the love of the Father is the firmest foundation for our security. And we see that actually reflected in the human family, the kind of well-documented attachment theory which talks about that um, children who have a secure attachment to their primary caregivers uh, are more able to build secure relationships in their lives and live securely than those who don't. And so in Jesus, what we are offered is the ultimate secure attachment because each and every one of us is loved by the Most High God, which is some serious status, right? What greater connection can there be? And that's what we've been offered in Jesus Christ. So Tish Harrison Warren talks about the impact and importance of this in her book, Liturgy of the Ordinary. She says this, It's remarkable that when the Father declares at Jesus' baptism, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, Jesus hasn't done done anything that many many would find impressive. He hasn't healed or resisted Satan in the wilderness. He hasn't been crucified or resurrected. Jesus is sent out with this declaration of the Father's love. Jesus is eternally beloved by the Father, and his every activity unfurls from his identity as the Beloved. He loved others, healed others, preached, taught, rebuked, and redeemed, not in order to gain the Father's approval, but out of his rooted certainty in the Father's love. And that is what we have been offered in Jesus Christ. That is what is offered in our adoption. And she goes on to say, I am not primarily defined by my abilities or marital status or how I vote or my successes or failures or fame or obscurity, but as one who is sealed in the Spirit, hidden in Christ and beloved by the Father. And that, again, is what is offered to every single one of us, this secure identity that we are beloved. We are the beloved of the Most High. And the the world would love to tell us and actually put pressure on us into thinking that we have to hustle ourselves an identity in this world, that actually we have to find our identity in being successful or beautiful or rich or even just being good or always getting things right But what we're seeing, what we're offered in this heavenly family is a release from all of that. That we don't have to search for our identity. Our identity has been given to us. It is the surest foundation. It's not built on anything flimsy. We don't have to be defined by any labels. We have been given the identity that is secure and steadfast. We are loved. Can you say it with me? We are loved. We are loved. We're loved by the eternal one who loves you eternally, unconditionally. There's no need for earning. There's no need for manipulating. There's no need for pretending. We are loved. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And one day, we're going to see the fullness of that. We're going to see the fullness of what it means to, to, for that to be realized. But even in the now, even today, there's something of that to be experienced for every single one of us. So that's, that's the first thing. We have a brand new identity that we are loved. The second thing that we see in the passage is this new family resemblance. My throat's going again. Let me grab a glass of water again. Bear with me. Mm-hmm. New family resemblance. So... Um, I have two sisters, um, and um, people often tell me that we look like triplets. And um, so back when we lived in the same town, there would often be times when we had these incredibly... I had the incredibly awkward moments where I'd be talking to someone and I'd slowly start to realise that they thought I was one of my sisters. And you're kind of faced with the decision, do you correct them, which is really awkward, or do you just kind of nod along and hope that you don't say anything embarrassing that's going to drop your sister in it? Or maybe for feeling cheeky, you say something intentionally that's going to drop your sister in it. Um, But I've got to say, I don't actually feel like uh, I massively look like either of my sisters. But what I do have to admit is that we do have very similar mannerisms. And so, that yeah, we do, we do. I'll give people that. Um, and so there is some kind of family resemblance between us. But when we are adopted into God's family, we're actually given a new family resemblance. So if you um, read on with me from verse two, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure everyone who sins breaks the law in fact sin is lawless lawlessness but you know that when he appears so that he might sorry but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin no one who lives in him keeps on sinning and no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him so this is our family resemblance and as with the identity there's a now to this and a not yet so, um, as as we have um, as we go on in this in the story of God, we see that there is what we often talk about at KXC. There's creation, decreation, and recreation. There we go. And so with creation, what we see is, is God making humanity. And what we see is that sin was never a part of God's original plan for us. It was that we would experience the life of God naked and unashamed, fully alive. Did I get it right? Yeah, <laughs> got it right. Um, but in decreation, sin enters the story as humanity essentially chooses to step away from all that God has promised. And what we see here is essentially, if we're thinking about in this kind of image of resemblance, is that sin disfigures this perfect image of God that he's placed in humanity. And so humanity gets distorted and disfigured or to use a different kind of imagery, we no longer look like God because sin disfigures us. And that means we can no longer make choices that honor God. We're actually bound by the curse of sin, which means that actually we're forced into making choices that hurt ourselves, hurt others, and hurt the world around us. That is the reality of decreation and the reality of sin. But praise be to God, we have Jesus who comes in and restores to us the image of God that was always intended for us so that we can essentially look like God again. We can resemble God again. And the disfigurement of sin is actually so much more than us doing bad things or bad behavior, which means the remedy for it, the renewal is so much deeper than that. We have this promise in Jesus that one day our hearts will be fully returned back to God, fully turned back to God, and we'll be healed in the deepest way. So we'll be healed of those heart attitudes of selfishness and pride, this desire to control, this lack of trust of God, and choosing to live in ways that aren't free. And what a day that will be. But for now, even now, there is a resemblance change that is available to us. And we're invited into that as the family of God. Because we've been given the Holy Spirit and we get to live lives in step with the Spirit. And as that happens, we are transformed into the likeness of Jesus. We are transformed into the resemblance of the one who does not sin. And so just a little note here, what the text is not saying is that um, this side of eternity we can expect to be perfect. Um, And I'm not out here trying to lie to you all that I'm saying that now I'm a Christian, there's no sin in me. That would be be a total lie. Um, And John actually isn't saying that either. So we read in 1 John 1 verse 8, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so what the the grammar here, what it's kind of indicating in in 1 John 1 verse 8, it's saying it's almost this thing of, if we we say that we do not sin on occasion, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Whereas in the passage we're looking at today, what he's saying is we're released from the habitual lifestyle of sin. Sin no longer needs to be the thing that keeps us away from God. And what's more than that is that when we recognize sin in our lives, when the Holy Spirit reveals that to us, we have a way through sin. Through that, we're given the gift of confession. We're given the gift of repentance, of healing and restoration. So in Titus 2, verse 11 to 14, it says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we await the blessed hope, the the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. So essentially, whilst we await that day when we are completely, fully made in the resemblance of Jesus, we're being taught to Say no to sin by the Spirit. And we have the assurance that actually we can we can have the expectation that we are being transformed by Jesus. So one day we're gonna look fully like Jesus, but praise God, he's already started that makeover, amen. Yeah, Yeah, come on. So that's the second thing. Family resemblance. And then the third and final thing that I just wanted to draw out from the passage is that in this family we have a new family commitment. And um, as I've been thinking about this talk, I've been, there's actually been one family that's been very present in my mind. Um, and it's, um, I have to confess, I used to be an avid watcher of EastEnders. Anyone else in the room? A few. <laughs> yes, all of us. A few, yeah. Some sheepish hands. Do people know what EastEnders is? Yeah. yeah, okay. So back when I used to watch, there was this one family, and they were Phil, Sam, Grant, and Peggy. Mitchell. Yeah, you know the Mitchells. You know the Mitchells. And, um, and I think what I was thinking about as I was preparing this talk was the thing about the Mitchells was that if you messed with one of the Mitchells, you were messing with the whole family. They, were, they took very seriously their name and the fact that they were bonded together by blood, and that had a massive impact on the way that they kind of lived their lives. Not all of it was very good. But they had this massive, this like code of conduct, this loyalty and solidarity. And so um, in this passage, there is so much to be encouraged by. There's so much beauty. But inherent within it is that, that for us as the church, there's also a challenge. Because we've been brought into God's family with many, many others. So let's go back to the passage. This is what it says. See how, this? Sorry, this is how we know who the children of God are who the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death." This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, do not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. So, decreation doesn't just affect our relationship with God, decreation affects our relationships with each other. And we see that example in this passage of Cain, um, who killed his brother. You can read about that in Genesis. Essentially, it's an example of decreation played out, of a broken relationship, of jealousy uh, that ultimately ends in death. But Jesus has come to redeem. He's come to make all things new. And that isn't just our relationship with the Father. He's also come to make new our relationships with each other. And something that I've I've always kind of struggled to get my head around, but always can't can't sort of escape from in the scriptures, that our relationship with God isn't just a vertical thing, but there's an intrinsic link between our relationship with God and how we relate to each other. And that's what we read here in this passage in John in verse 14. We know we have passed from death to life because we love each other. How we treat each other is evidence of what God has done in our lives. And so the thing about being in God's family, all the benefits and all the fruit that we get from that, which is amazing, uh, is that there is also this challenge that we, we in this room, we are all in that family together. And just like the Mitchells, we are bonded by blood. We're bonded by the blood of Jesus. And that means something. Kish Kandaya says this, too often we explain the gospel in terms of personal relationship with God. And although partly true, this emphasis can be misleading. When I adopted my daughter, it did not only affect the relationship between her and me. Because of adoption, the church was never supposed to be just a building or or just an event. It was always supposed to be a family. So cue Sister Sledge, we are family. We are the people of God, and we are connected, and that means something. And just as Kish says, this KXC is not just a building. KXC is not just an event. KXC is a family. And... Um, A family that displays to the world the manifold wisdom of God. And again, as with the other two things, there's a not yetness to that. And one day, we will be fully restored to each other. We won't hurt each other anymore. There'll be no more abuse and no more war, no more hatred. There'll be nothing to forgive and nothing to redeem. And praise God, that is our future. But again, there is a now to this as well. And actually, the church has a unique role in the world to point and to demonstrate that that end is coming to the world and manifest that to the world. We get the opportunity to bring that reality of the kingdom into the today. And that is our privilege, but it is also our challenge. And so, we have to ask ourselves the question, are we ready to play our part in the recreation part of this story? Because the reality is we can't actually be casual about this. The text doesn't give us that option. We can't just dismiss this as like a lovely dream that actually doesn't have an impact on our lives today. Because what John is saying is is pretty heavy. It's not just enough for us to like just like nod our heads to this. This impact has to be material. He says it's not just about words, this is essentially about deeds. And this is where this stuff, where the rubber hits the road. And it's, it's not easy, I'm, again, I'm not here to, to lie to anyone, I'm not here to pretend. Um, we, we know this, we know this, we, we live in the real world and being family is really hard. Um, But the question that remains for us is, will we commit to be like family together? Will we commit to work through the offense, to work through when things are hard, to even as we, you know, talked about earlier, to say the tough things to each other? Will we be family together? And actually, if we examine our hearts and we're not at the point where that's something that we want to do, we can't actually be chill about that. We can't just kind of tolerate that way of thinking because this text doesn't allow us to do that and it is out of step with our identity. And so what does it look like for us to step further into that? I I think that's a question that we need to go away and think about individually and collectively too. Um, But one thing that sprang to mind when I was thinking about this is no one should ever walk through the doors of the church and feel like they are without family. Jesus promises something really significant in Mark 10, verse 29 to 31. It's actually a bit of a stitch-up for us. Let me read it to you. It says, Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive it a hundred times as much in the present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. Jesus always being a real, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. So Jesus is saying that those who give up family for the sake of the gospel will receive family in the present age. Jesus is offering us up as family. And the idea of giving up family for the sake of Jesus may feel a bit abstract for many of us here. But the reality is there will be people that that is their story. I know personally for me, in my family, that's part of my family story. Um, so my dad, he's from Ghana, um, and he is part of a, a royal tribe family in his area of Ghana. And so from a young man, he was sort of in line to be the chief um, of that but when he became a Christian, which when he was when he was a fairly young age, he decided that to do that would be wholly inconsistent with his beliefs as a Christian. And so that came at massive sacrifice to him, massive cost to him. And he had to distance himself from some of his family who de- disapproved of that in order to really live out what it meant to be a Christian for him. And so the question for someone like my dad is when he walks through the door of a church, will he find family in his midst? Are we going to be family together to anyone who might walk through the door, who's had to give up family for real reasons, whether that's like a reason like my dad or for religious reasons for, or for a plethora of many other reasons? Will they walk through the door and find family here? And what does that mean for us? What, what does that mean for us? Will we be the type of church that Jesus promises, guarantees in Mark 10? And the reality is that we can only do this in the power of the Spirit. We can't do this in a, of ourselves. We need the help of Jesus to do that. So we're just going to land our time here by praying for the Spirit to come to enable us to grasp all this. So why don't you stand with me and we'll do that.